for fruit. Turn with me to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Um, you know, it's, there, there are certain chapters in the Bible that when you don't know what to read at that particular moment, what am I going to just sit down and read? To me, John chapter 15 is my go-to chapter because there's so much in there that even though I've read it hundreds of times, I'll read it again and something else will just speak to my heart. Something else will just minister to me. It, it's one of those chapters to me that, that um, I'm always safe when I go there. I'm always going to get something. Amen. In John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So as we look at this particular passage of Scripture, there's a couple of mindsets that could kind of overshadow our view of looking at this. And we could look at it in one sense that God, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a taskmaster and he wants a lot of fruit. I want you to bear a lot of fruit. Be fruitful. Work, work, work. <laughs> do, do, do. Keep going. No downtime, you know. And sometimes, you know, if, you, if you've been raised maybe in that type of culture or been influenced that way, um, that can put a certain amount of stress on you and you get into this particular scripture. And this is something where you have to really watch as you get into the scripture is, you know, what has influenced you? What culture have you come from? What things have, have uh, influenced your history, your past? And are you trying to look at the word of God through those lenses? Because if you are, sometimes that hinders you from understanding what he's trying to say. God isn't saying here, you know, he isn't putting like a high taskmaster, you know, demand on his people. But what he's trying to say in this is the end result, yes, you're going to bear much fruit. And that's something that's going to glorify me. But it's the experience of me in you, helping you, and working through you. That's what I want to, that, that's what I'm, the objective here. 
That's what I want to have see what happens in your life. It's not so much the end result, but it's that process that gets you to that place, that gets you to where that fruit is being born. That's what God is looking for. That's what God is desiring because that's where we find him. That's where we connect with him. That's where he can do what he wants to do and work in us and speak to us the way he wants to do that. So spiritual, spiritual growth and maturity is reflected by bearing fruit. So if you want to say, okay, where am I at in this process? What kind of uh, test could I look at to see uh, that I'm on track or things are connected right or I'm, I'm flowing in this is what kind of fruit am I bearing? Even Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. So spiritual growth is and maturity is reflected by bearing fruit. And producing much fruit is the true indicator of a strong and healthy spiritual life. When you look at a tree and you see it's full of fruit, you know that that's a healthy tree. You know, we, we, I planted a garden once, and I did it for about a year and a half, and I said, God bless the farmers. <laughs> this is too much work for me. <laughs> there was so much involved in that. You know, tilling the soil, making sure that everything is properly spaced out, watering it, weeding. Man, you come home from work, you got to go out and weed the garden, you know. And then there was, and then how do you protect it? Like finally I was getting some really nice vegetables. Got some watermelon, they were looking so good. Beans grow like crazy. Like, I don't know, those things are on steroids. They just go nuts. And cucumbers. It's like we, we couldn't figure out how to eat those cucumbers. We loading them up, bringing them to the harvest place and uh, blessing them with it. Um, you know, but then you, you got this beautiful watermelon that's growing, and you go over there to, to look at it, to check it out, and then you see a hole in the back of it because a mouse got in there and started eating its way in there. I'm like, oh, man. One night I came home and I heard grunting and snorting in the garden. I'm like, what in the world is that? And here there's a, there's, there's a possum in there. There's deer in there. It's like, man, I did not protect this garden the way it needed to be protected, you know? <laughs> so God bless the farmers. We have a, a farmer back there, Brother Chet. God bless you for uh, farming. Amen. Yes, that's right. In November, I said, how was your weekend? He says, I was out plowing, <laughs> working that soil. So praise God. There's a lot involved with that. But again, when you see a, a, a plant that's producing a lot of fruit, you just know that's a healthy plant. Something's going on right within that plant. So the process and the work that is involved in bearing fruit is the development of our faith, our trust, our obedience, our yielding, and our love in our relationship with the Lord. And in this development and fruitfulness, God is manifested in us and through us in a consisting and long-lasting way. Therefore, God is not just interested in you doing something for him, 
but rather he wants you to experience his life, his power, and his presence working in and through you. And he does this in your life not only to bless and help you, but also to bless and help others around you. And then this brings great joy to the Father. So our spiritual growth begins and is sustained on this one simple truth. One simple truth. Jesus is the true vine, and we should draw our life from him. That's really the bottom line to it. Because Jesus said, he didn't say, I am a vine. He said, I am the true vine. The true vine. See, when, when this was written to the people in that day, they lived in what they called a pagan culture. And in a pagan culture, there was many gods. So I could have a certain god that I worshipped. Clayton could have a certain god that he worshipped. Mike could have a certain god that he worshipped. Austin could have his favorite god that he worshipped. And yet we could all worship each other's god. So even though I'm more devoted to my god, I could still worship Clayton's god. I could have a little shrine or a little offering or whatever for his. And I could do the same for Mike. And I could do the same for Austin. And it was kind of like a smorgasbord of gods with one favorite. You know, sometimes when you go out to eat at a, at a buffet, you might have certain food that you really like. You want that meatloaf. Or you want that ribs. Sure. <laughs> but you might throw a few other options on the plate. I'll try this. I'll nibble on that. And so when Jesus was writing this, that was the culture of the land. That was how people are. You know, they had gods all over. They had temples all over the place. And then every so often, Caesar would come along and say, okay, build one for me. And, and Jesus came along and he said, it doesn't work that way. This isn't a, this isn't a smorgasbord of gods. I am the true vine. And what's interesting is throughout the Gospel of John, he reveals himself in seven different I am's. But back in Isaiah 45, verse 5 and 6, he says, I am the Lord, and there is none other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that you may know from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none other. And so that, that was challenging for the people in that day because they were so superstitious that if you became exclusive to one god and you didn't worship all these other gods, you were almost looked at as an atheist. And part of the persecution that a lot of Christians experienced is that they didn't have this all-inclusiveness to welcome the other gods to the table 
And the people felt that they were offending these other gods. And that was causing calamity in the land because now they weren't worshiping the god of the, the, the wheat or the god of the fertility or the god of, you know, whatever. And they were bringing bad luck, bad karma on us. And so that's how a lot of persecution came against Christians. And that was the pressure that they experienced. And when you read the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, you kind of see as he's beginning to deal with different churches, some churches stood their ground, but they were persecuted. They had to suffer. And then there were other churches that, you know, they had a name for themselves amongst the people because they, they opened the door and, and, and to other gods and they ate, went into their temples and actually went into the actual temple where they had temple worship while they were preparing the food. And so while they were preparing the food and, and, and they were giving thanks to all their gods in this particular temple, they were doing different kinds of sacrifices and even prostitution. And the Bible clearly tells them, don't, do, don't get a part of that. Christians, stay out of that temple. Stay out of that activity. Now, if there's meat that comes out of that place and now it's sold out in the marketplace... And that's the only source of food that you get. They didn't have, like, you know, festival foods and pick and save, Walmart and all these other options. I mean, that was basically, that's where you got the meat. But if you were going to the meat markets, if you will, out in the public areas, don't ask them about the meat. Just, if you need the meat, buy the meat, pray over the meat when you bring it home, and give thanks. But if you find out it was offered to an idol, or if you have somebody over and they ask you, hey, was that meat bought by that idol worshiper over there, uh, idol John? <laughs> then don't serve him the, the meat because you might offend him if his, if his conscience doesn't allow that. But don't go into the temple where the activity is taking place and partake of the activity. And actually one of the church one of the archaeologists um, found and I can't remember offhand if it was if it was Sardis, um, but they actually went into a old ruins of a pagan temple. And the way they set up those ruins those uh, inside that pagan temple is again they had these different booths, you know, kind of like a craft fair. And they had these different booths, and then at each booth, on the wall where that booth is, they put an inscription of their god. So if their god was a, a circle with a line through it, then that was on that wall. And they found in that temple, they actually found an area where there were crosses and fish symbols on the wall. And so... Christians and, and, and in this particular church, you know, they were being reprimanded because they were going into the temple. They, were, they, they, they had a name for themselves amongst the people. The people said, hey, you guys are great and had a name for themselves, but God says you don't have a name with me because they compromised. So they, they diluted, they, they mixed themselves in in their, 
and they're per, part of their worship, part of their activity. Now, now we today, we because of the the move of Christianity, it purged a lot of that, a lot of that uh, barbaric idol worship culture out of our society. Christianity really changed a lot of the the very nature of the world, but yet, in the heart, in the affections, in the emotions. There's still false gods. There's still idols. We just don't call them an idol. But what captures our attention? You know, is it the money? Is it sports? Is it, you know, arts? Is it whatever it is? There's things that have captured the minds of people. And even though they don't necessarily call it a specific God from heaven, yet their affection is given to it in such a way that it's like a worship. And we, and that's the culture we're in. Those are the influences that we have that are trying to pull on people. <clears throat> in our particular region, one of, the, one of the biggest gods that we have that we have to deal with around here is alcohol. There's so much beer and alcoholism, and it's affected our culture And it's caused people to get into all kinds of drugs and addictions and so forth. And it's affected our society in a big way. And it's almost like a god to people, you know, where they have their, you know, they have the church and then they have the beer tent on the church parking lot. Like, how can that be? You're going there getting drunk and the Bible says, be not drunk, but be, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, but Jesus said, he said, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. And so as we look through John, we see some of the I am's of Jesus. He said, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 35, 41, 48, and 51. What is bread? Bread is what we eat to sustain our life. Christ offers his eternal nature and power and strength to sustain our life. When we partake of him, we're receiving all of that. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Christ offers himself as a guide and a direction in this dark and confusing world. People are looking for revelation. They're looking for understanding. They're looking for direction. And Jesus can bring true revelation and understanding of what life is and who God is to our hearts. Then he said in John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. He is committed to caring and watching over those who are his. Jesus protects us and he watches over us and he puts a safeguard, a hedge of protection around our life. Then he said, I am the door to the sheep. So he's the one that brings us into the realm. See, those doors were gates to where pastures where sheep could go in different pastures and feed and eat. And so while one pasture was being prepared and one was ready, a door would be open and they could go and eat over here. And then after they ate over there, then another door maybe opened up later where they could go over here. And so there were different pastures, and Jesus is the door that opens us up 
to the realms of the Father's blessings and provisions and heavenly encounters of spiritual things. And then Jesus said, I am, in John chapter 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Praise God, death is not the final destiny of our life. No matter how old we are, no matter how aged our body gets, <laughs> we have an inheritance in heaven. We have a glorified body prepared for us. We have an eternal abode in us that when we leave this life, when this life finally ends, we're going to be in a place, in a glorified body, a body that is wrapped in, in immortality, a body that is filled and infused with the very nature and the glory of God. Can't wait, but I will wait. I've got some more work to do. Amen. But some mornings I wake up and I'm like, is it time? <laughs> Can I get that body in advance? <laughs> is there a little trial of <laughs> period that I can test it out for a few days? And then Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the path. There is a prepared and secured road that leads us to heaven and the heart of the Father. And Jesus is that way. Everybody's looking for a way, a way of spirituality, a way of enlightenment, a way of eternal life. And Jesus said, I am the way. And then he said, I am the truth. He is the source of the true knowledge and truth about who God is. And he's the life. He's the true reality that we can live in and experience the God kind of life. You know, our world is getting so twisted to where they're starting to say, well, what's your truth? And you can have a truth and you can have a truth and, and you can have a truth and everybody can have their own truth. But when you look at everything that man made, it's made with certain functions, purposes, and truth that governs it. And we see that in this thing called the manual. You know, the thing the guys hardly ever read, but it's called the manual. And it tells you what the truth is about this particular item. And the vehicle I drive, the truth is, is I have to put in gas. Not ethanol, because I don't have the flex motor. Well, one day I accidentally put some of that flex fuel in my van. And I'll tell you, I thought my motor was going to die. The, the way that thing ran, sputtered and shaken, and all the, all the indicator lights were going on and off in the, on the dashboard. I thought, man, I ruined my car. Thank God for Google, because they told me, just hang in there, keep putting premium in there, put some fuel injector cleaner in there, and eventually it'll clear itself out. And then, of course, I had to change the spark plugs, and then now we're fine. But it was a long road. It was a long road of, of rough road, rough driving. Well, my truth of ethanol was not <laughs> the truth. And it made some problems. But Jesus is the truth. He is the life. There is a truth. There is a life. And how we can come along and say we can just change it any way we want is goes against 
him being the true vine, right? So our connection with him positions us. It positions us in a heavenly place. In Ephesians 1.3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So our connection with him puts us in this position. We are seated with him. Whether you're having a good day, a bad day, whether you feel great or not, whether your tummy is full or empty, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And because of this, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessing. There's a verse in the Bible that always kind of troubled me. I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 through 23. Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and he says, so don't boast. See, at this time, they were kind of boasting about, well, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Apollos, and, and I'm, I'm, I follow Paul. And sometimes people can kind of get cliquish with different ministers and feel like they're more spiritual if they ascribe and they're members to this particular minister or they read his material. They feel like they're, you know, Got a spiritual upper edge over the rest of the other Christians. And Paul is addressing that, and he says, So don't boast about following a particular human leader, for everything belongs to God. Whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or present and the future, this is what messes with me right here. Everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. What? But a truth being spoken is coming from God to us. And what God is saying is, because I have positioned you, because I have seated you with Christ and blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, it is all yours. Now, you may not necessarily have everything that you need or want at this particular moment, but because you're connected to him, it's all yours, and it's all your inheritance, and you're all going to experience it. And it may not be today, and it may not be tomorrow, but it might be the day after. So it's through faith and patience. And because of this, in Philippians, Paul could say that whether I abound or whether I'm abased, everywhere in all things I've learned to be full and I've learned to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So he knew how to find in all of these things. I, I know how to be inner, have inner peace, inner satisfaction, inner contentment, even though my outward circumstances may be favorable or may not be favorable. It doesn't matter because it doesn't change the fact I'm still seated with Christ, I'm in heavenly places, and I'm blessed with all spiritual blessing because I'm connected to the true vine. I'm connected to him. And see, that, that frees us. That brings peace to us. 
That helps us to, to kind of navigate through the difficulties, navigate through the challenges. Because no matter how, you know, again, when you look at our Christian lives and you compare it to their Christian lives, how many of you got stones thrown at you this week because you took a stand for Jesus? Anybody? How many of you were fired from your job this week because you took a stand for Jesus? How many of you were spit on because you took a stand for Jesus? I didn't see any hands go up. You did? You got some? Okay. He spit close to you. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> you passed the saliva test. <laughs> But this is their Christian life. This is, how they, they, this is how they lived. They didn't know if today or tomorrow was going to be a, you know, if persecution was going to break out. Can you imagine? You just have to pack up a few things, get in your car, and go. The, preaching, uh, the, the persecution became so bad in Jerusalem that they, they just basically packed up. A lot of Christians just packed up whatever they had, their donkey, their cart, and they just got out of Jerusalem. But the Bible says they went everywhere preaching the word. And it's interesting because God told them, go out, you know, go in Jerusalem, Judea, and the outermost parts of the world. But they were hanging out in Jerusalem because they were having so much fun in the Holy Ghost party. So when persecution broke out, then they said, okay, you know, maybe I'll take up Jesus on those words. And I'll go to Judea and to the uttermost part of the world. So uh, God can motivate us sometimes when we don't, don't step out the way we should. He goes on to say, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So he's the true vine. And we're connected to him. And it's not a struggle. It's a reality. It's a relationship. And no matter what happens around us, it cannot change the truth and the reality of who we are in Christ. But he says here, now, now, now some of this language looks a little bit harsh because he says if you, if you bear fruit, he's going to, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, when you look at that a little bit, that, that sounds kind of harsh, right? Like, like you're just not pulling your weight. Okay, yank him out of here. He's done. But that word takes away has a twofold meaning. And it's used, interesting, both ways throughout the scripture. The same Greek word, which is aero. And in one sense, the meaning is to raise up and elevate. So back then, a lot of their, their vineyards or grapevines, they were so, you know, they were laying on the ground. You know, now we see these, you know, the technology of, or, or the development of grapevines, we see these uh, structures, if you will, where the vines can kind of grow up and over. But back then, they didn't have a lot of that, so they were just laying down on the ground. 
And because they were on the ground, the dirt, uh, the other foliage around it was beginning to cover it over, and it was preventing it from being able to bear fruit. So the vine dresser would go along, and he would bring like rocks or, or things to begin to elevate those branches to get them off the ground, to raise them up so they have a chance to bear fruit. So sometimes when you're not bearing fruit and the devil's been on you and he's been working on your mind and beating on your brain and doing all kinds of things, God likes to come along with the Holy Spirit and begin to lift you up, give you some extra encouragement, give you some extra hope, give you a shot of faith, a, a boost of joy, or whatever it is to kind of pick you up, even though you don't deserve it, even though you're, you're struggling. But he does that because he loves us. He wants to raise us up. He wants to elevate us. And then the other meaning is it means sometimes to cut away. Sometimes when a branch isn't bearing fruit, you do have to cut it away, especially if there's things that are going on with it that are becoming hard to repair and, and more detrimental to the rest of the vine. And then he prunes. Now, pruning is an interesting thing because it doesn't make sense. You've got a shoot that has leaves. Why cut it off? Why are you cutting this shoot off and not that shoot? Everything's growing. You know, sometimes when I trim bushes, I, my wife's like, you need to trim those. And okay, I'll go out there and I'm like, oh, that's a good branch. I'm cutting that off. I'm, I'm cutting this off. But what happens is when there's life growing in a plant, that energy is pushing out more life. It's just the nature of life. It grows. You, you know, you, put, you see things grow out of cracks and concrete. You go, what in the world? But that's how life is. Wherever there's a crack, wherever there's a seam, wherever there's an opening, something's just going to grow. It's going to sprout. So you have this tree, you have this vine, and you got all these, this growth going on, and, and, and shoots are coming out. But you realize that if you, if you allow that just to grow wild, it can't focus in on the stronger branches that are going to produce the most fruit. So what's going to happen is these little shoots that are just filling up the space are going to take the nutrients. They're going to rob that away from the other branches that are going to bear more fruit. So you have to trim off some of those little shoots to get more fruit on the bigger branches. And when you take that into our life spiritually, that can become confusing. Because here you're on fire for the Lord. Here you're trying to do things for the Lord. You're doing this. You're doing that. You feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really serving God. I'm really involved. I'm really doing this and that. And then all of a sudden, one of those areas all, or some of those areas start to wither. You, you, <clears throat> it's hard to go and do this. It's a drudgery. Every time you work hard at something, it doesn't work out. I've made these calls. I did this. I, I've done that. I, and it's not producing the fruit. And so God is kind of, he, there's a pruning process in the spirit that's going on. All of a sudden, doors begin to close. Things aren't, you feel like you're doing it in your own strength. 
And sometimes you have to let go of those things. And it can be confusing because when you go through that, then the devil wants to get in there and he wants to say, well, you're not fasting enough. You're not praying enough. You're not doing this enough. You're not doing that. And all of a sudden, now you, you, you put your more of your own effort into it. You're trying to do it in your own strength. Okay, I'm going to do, do this more. It's all on me now. It's on me to pray more. It's on me to, to quote more scriptures. It's on me to commit more and to do this. But, but if it isn't producing the fruit then is that what God is calling you to do? And then what happens is you, if you don't take time to just wait on the Lord and let him evaluate certain things and get with him on that, what happens is it creates discouragement, creates lack of faith. The devil, he always tries to take advantage of us whenever he can in situations. Well, see, you, you missed God, you... You're done. You're wrong. You're, you're not right with God. You're, you're not connected with him. And he tries to get you to doubt your actual identity of who you are in Christ and who you're connected with. See, you look at, a, you look at plants that are producing fruit. The ones that are producing fruit, the, the branches aren't shaking. I produce more fruit. You know, <clears throat> it's just a growth. It's a manifestation of what's going on on the inside of that, of that branch, of that vine. And it's just growing. And so it's all a part of the connection. But sometimes the, the thing that the Lord has to deal with in us, and that's where his word comes in, is he has to deal with the wrong attitude. See, in a branch, you have that fungi that starts to grow on there. And all of a sudden, you get that mossy covering. God bless you. <laughs> you get that mossy covering on the branch. Well, that fungi is trying to attack the life support, the, the, the vine, uh, the, the arteries inside there. It's trying to get in there and trying to suck up and attack and dry out and bring disease inside that vine to, to hinder it from being able to grow or receive the life that comes from the vine, that comes from the trunk. And so he cleans us with his word to get that out. And, and those things can be really what it is in, in, in essence. It's unbelief. Because when you think about unbelief, what does unbelief produce in the life of people? Well, it produces wrong attitudes. If you're not going to believe God for something that he's shown you or spoken to you, then you get a wrong attitude. You get upset. You get frustrated. You know, God told Cain and Abel, he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to offer a sacrifice. So what does Cain do? He goes and tills the ground, creates fruits and vegetables, and he offers it. And what does Abel do? Abel grabs the, the, the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and they put it on the altar. Here's Abel's offering over here. Here's Cain's offering over there. God's fire comes down on Abel, and Cain is like, I worked so hard to produce this, to put this together. How come you're not accepting it? Well, that's fine that you did that, but that's not what I said. I said, a sacrifice. But no, I'm going to do it this way. 
See, and then he got a wrong attitude. He got mad at Abel. He killed Abel. He, was an, he became ornery. He became grouchy. He was, you know, can you just picture Cain's emotions before he killed Abel? Probably kicking the tomatoes and throwing the cucumbers around, going, what's going on here? I'm doing this. I'm doing that. He's throwing baskets around. He's like, you know, he's getting, getting violent in his weeding process, you know, because <laughs> he's got a wrong attitude, right? He's, he's, there's something that's not right there. He didn't accept what God said. He's, he's in unbelief. It's affecting his attitude. It's affecting his, what he's saying. You know, God, oh, God doesn't help me. I got to go through this stuff. I got to deal with it myself. He's just, for whatever reason, he's just kind of mad at me, not caring about me. It's funny when Jesus was in the boat and the storm came and the waves and he was sleeping and, you know, what did they say? Master, don't you care that we're perishing? how that twisted. They could have just woke him up and said, hey, master, we're not sure what to do. There's a storm, and it's really scaring the daylights out of us, and we've seen bad storms, and this is a bad storm. Can you do something about it? They didn't, they didn't do that. Don't you care? See, that unbelief really affects your mental attitude. And it begins to restrict, even though you're connected to the vine, even though the vine is pushing its life to you, you've got this devil fungi restricting that from happening. And so what happens is these you just got to root out the unbelief. Root out those areas. Root out those things, those attitudes, those things that affect us in a negative way that can hinder the growth. But he said, abide in me and let my words abide in you. And what's so powerful with this and the picture, the image that God gave me is, is how, what do we yield to? And the, the picture that came to mind that the Lord just threw at me was Samson. Now look at this man, Samson. He was a man that God anointed as a judge. He gave him supernatural power. Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a, of a donkey. He, one day he went up to the gates that were on the, on the wall, the gates to the city. He went up to the gates and ripped those metal bars out of the concrete walls, and, and then he carried them. So this guy was anointed. And he had that beautiful long hair. and Yes. <laughs> he didn't have it cut short like Clayton or Austin. <laughs> but what happened to him? Well, he got involved with a Philistine woman. And this Philistine woman began to capture his emotions, begin to capture his feelings, begin to capture his attention. He went to his dad. He says, Dad, I want her. Dad says, no, she's a Philistine. So what? Get her for me. 
So there was something going on there. There was something pulling him, and he was allowing that. Even though he was strong, even though he was powerful, he was, he was allowing something else to get a hold of him. And then what happened is, even though on the outward she looked like something that would have been delightful and enjoyable and good, yet in Judges 16.5 it says, And the lords of the Philistine came to her and said to her, Entice him, find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So what does she do? She brings him in, makes him a nice hot biscuit meal, has the candles going, makes it a nice, wonderful atmosphere. Starts to talk to him. Do you love me? Oh, Samson, do you love me? If you love me, tell me your secret to your strength. And, of course, he had some fun with that. Well, if you take seven strands of rope that were never used or, you know, twines of this or whatever, and you bind me, I'll lose my strength. And so she would do that, and all of a sudden he'd wake up and break them like they were paper. What, what, she was, what he was doing is he was being lulled in. And the picture is, picture this strong, superhuman, powerful man, anointed by God, putting his head into her lap. He just yielded to her. He just kept yielding to her. He yielded a little more. He yielded a little more. He put that head of his right into her lap. And then he told her, I've never had my hair cut. I took, I'm a Nazarite. My power is in my hair. I cannot lose, have my head shaved. And see, here's how, and of course we know what happened. His head was shaved. He lost his strength. And they plucked his eyes out. They came in, they grabbed him, they chained him, and they dug his eyes out so he could never see again. And then, because he was a big boy just to begin with, they used him as an ox, and he was tied up to a yoke, and he, would, he was grinding. He became the new grinder for the Philistines. And so that's what he did. But they didn't put two and two together. After time, his hair grew back. And so one day they had this huge party and there was 3,000 Philistines in this big temple and they were getting drunk and praising their God for giving them victory and they thought they would have fun by making sport of Samson. And so they brought Samson in, a little boy brought him in, brought him into the temple and they were all laughing and mocking at him and, and uh, praising their God. And then that, he whispered to that little boy, he said, bring me to the pillars. Bring me to the pillars. And that boy brought him to the two main pillars. And he prayed. And he said, Lord, use me again. And even if I lose my life, that's okay. Just use me again to do your will. And he pushed on those pillars. And that whole building collapsed. 3,000 Philistines were killed in that one event. He killed more of them that day than he ever did before at one time. And what's interesting is 
he killed more in his death than in his life. And sometimes there's a, there's a message in there for us. Sometimes you're going to have more success, more victories, more of God working through you when you, lo- when you accept your crucifixion in Christ. As Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It is not I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And when we come to that place where we die to ourselves, surrender all, God can use us the greatest. Well, he, he went through a dialogue. And see, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. See, what kind of dialogue are we having in our minds? And this is something that I just kind of really prompted this message is what kind of dialogues do we have in our minds? Are we checking our dialogues? Yes, we're, 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 we're making sure we don't watch this. We're making sure we don't do this. We're making sure we don't say that. And that's all good. But what kind of dialogues are we allowing in our thoughts? Are we allowing fear to have a dialogue in our thoughts? Are we allowing cares? Are we allowing worries? Are we allowing pleasures, lust? Uh, Are we allowing things that are not fruitful? You know, sometimes we can get our minds so set on what we're going to do and how we're going to do it that we don't even pray and say, God, can can you, is this what I should do? And how should I do this? You know, I'm not, I'm not a handyman. I don't claim to be a handyman, but I own a home, so I've got to be somewhat handy. I know how to use duct tape. Uh, <laughs> and so I'll take on a project here and there. And I found out that if I pray before I do this, if I go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not sure how to do this, but I'm looking to you to help me how to do this, it just seems like things work out. Like ideas come to me and, and, and how to, you know, work with resources that, I'm, that I can work with. You know, I don't have a metal, <clears throat> a gutter metal bender thing to make whatever pieces I want, but, but sometimes God will just bring you to the store and you'll see a piece and, oh, I can use that for that spot. That'll be perfect. And then there's times where I haven't prayed. Oh, I was all set. I had my mind set. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go at it. And man, talk about a battle. Talk about a struggle. And then at the end, it just you look at it and you go, man, that didn't turn out the way I hoped. <laughs> Has anybody ever been there? <laughs> but there's something about letting God just have more dialogue in our minds, having more influence in our thoughts. You see, our thoughts are, it's, it's kind of our private room, if you will. We can make that very private. God sees them. He knows our thoughts afar, the Bible says. But we can make that our very own private little chamber where we take God out and we just have our own little thoughts and we can think about whatever we want, when we want, how we want. But if we learn to take that time and those thoughts and put those thoughts, that dialogue, not in the lap of Delilah, but in the bosom of Jesus. 
then the connection will be stronger. The flow will be greater. The results will be more. Philippians 4.8, finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. The things which you have learned, the th received and heard and seen in me practice, and these things in daily life and God who is the source of peace and well-being, will be with you. It's a yielding. So as you're, as you're having a thought, because the devil will throw thoughts in your mind. I mean, you get thoughts that come out of nowhere. You're like, what in the world? Where did that come from? But what are you gonna, how are you going to yield at that moment to that thought? Are you going to yield to that fear? Are you going to yield to that worry? Are you going to yield to that, I can't, you know, how many times have you heard, oh, you can't do anything right? You know, I mess up on a project. What's the first thing? Ah, you can't do anything right. You're just an idiot. Who's saying that? And what am I going to do with that thought? How am I going to yield to that thought? Because all of those things have a direct impact, impact. Because those are the unclean things that try to hinder the flow. But the reality is, is we're a part, we're, he is the vine, we're the branches. We're connected with him. There is a, there's set, there's a setup that God has already put together for us to receive because he's blessed us, he's positioned us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings, and all things are yours, and all things are Christ, and all things that are Christ are of God. It's all part of our inheritance. And so as we're going forward, as we're as we're dealing with all of the persuasion in our land and, and all of this, your truth, my truth, and, and all of this uh, woke cultureism, if you will, and things that are trying to alter a lot of foundations and a lot of barriers and a lot of proper uh, righteous standards and moral compasses in our society, we have to make sure that in our thoughts, in our mind, we're yielding ourselves to the truth. And keeping that as our standard. And in doing that, he said, my words abide in you. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask what you will, and it shall be done. How powerful is that? It affects your prayer life. Sometimes we don't get our answered prayers because maybe, <clears throat> maybe we've been yielding to the wrong thoughts, and maybe those wrong thoughts have been causing a hindrance to be able to receive, to really believe what God's Word says in a specific area. But as we yield, as we connect, as we submit to Him, then fruit just grows. It just grows. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we are connected to you, that you are the true vine, 
Lord, that we're the branches. And we thank you, Lord, that you're working in each one of us here. I thank you, Lord, that there is a connection in our hearts, Lord, and, and things are growing in us. And, and, Lord, that we don't have to try to do things in our own strength, but, Lord, that we just yield ourselves to you because we're connected to you. And then as a, in that yielding to you and in that allowing you just to speak to us and, and minister to us, Lord, that there's, there's answered prayer, there's, there's disciplines, there's fruitfulness, there's, there's so many good things that just begin to manifest more and more and take place in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we just yield ourselves more to you because we want to bear much fruit. We want to glorify you, Father, and be your disciple, Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. God bless you.